Hey, well, this is your official invite to our next uh, Women of Wonder Bible study, Marshall. You're invited. (laughs) Uh, No, in all seriousness, isn't Marshall a blessing, y'all? You guys are so blessed to have him as your lead. Um, I just have to tell you, um, before we get started, I'm so excited to be here this morning. What the Vineyard Movement has been, uh, I really believe, in our, in our nation and just that foundation of prayer is something that uh, never ceases to amaze me about your community. In fact, I was able to sit up in the upper room this morning and pray with a couple people, and it was a it, it, it honestly, it blessed me just to be able to hear the words of saints who have gone before me, who are still hungry, who are still passionate, who know that there's still more of God to experience. It was beautiful. So uh, as Marshall said, my name is Kirsten Gallanter. I've been married to my uh, husband for 10 years. We have three beautiful, lively, active kids. I'm not tired, if you're wondering. And um, I also, by day, am a high school teacher. So I have been teaching at Evergreen High School for almost 10 years now. Um, It is a joy. I have a passion for teaching um, both in the church and out of the church. But I have to tell you, as, as someone who is passionate about prayer, I am stoked about this series that you are going through. The idea of using psalms to cultivate language and that accent of prayer in your life. We've been through it in the past year. And so I love that picture of being able to not analyze the poems, but place yourself into them. Allow them to minister to you and to teach you how to pray. And so before we get started, I want to pray. Father God, I thank you for this church community, for this church body. God, their hunger, their passion, their faithfulness. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to be able to get to share your word. And today, God, I ask that we would each be ministered to by the Psalms. God, that you would meet us exactly where we are with intimacy, with mercy, with love, with grace, God. Lord, I pray that today, as we hear your word, that we leave different than we came in. God, transform us, make us new. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so growing up, my best friend, her dad was uh, super into hunting. In fact, in her living room, they had a bear instead of a bear rug. They had a bear he had like killed with a bow on like the back of their wall. It was quite intimidating, if you ask me. But <laughs> with this passion for hunting, he owned a plane, which was pretty cool. And so we would come back from our weekends, and on Monday, I would ask her, I'd be like, hey, Nicole, what'd you do this weekend? And she'd be like, oh, me and my dad, you know, we just got on the plane. We flew to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. We went and we had breakfast and then we swam at the lake. It was awesome. She'd be like, hey, what'd you do? I was like, yard work. (laughs) But what I learned about these propeller planes is that when you are flying them and the sky is clear, that you can see the horizon, that your eyes and your ears communicate with one another, to be able to tell you, I need to go up, I need to go down, I need to turn, whatever it is. 
But as soon as you lose vision of the horizon, as soon as you get into the clouds, there is potential for you to experience something called vestibular illusion. Say that five times fast. Vestibular illusion. Now there is a whole list of illusions that you can experience. One of them in particularly, in particular, what will happen is you will think that your plane is headed straight up into the sky. And so in response, you actually begin to push yourself down. The farther that you push down, the more you feel like you're going up and you continue to plummet until you crash. Now on a side note, this is actually what happened when Kobe Bryant died. The helicopter pilot thought he was headed up to get up out of the clouds and instead he crashed the pilot. Not a lot of people knew what these illusions were until the death of Kobe Bryant. This seems frightening to me. I mean, not to mention like getting in a tiny itty bitty plane where you can see the propeller, but living in the Pacific Northwest where we're faced with clouds constantly. And so how, do you, how does a pilot combat these illusions? Because you actually can't stop them from happening. You cannot physically stop your body from experiencing this illusion. A pilot has to trust their gauges. They have to continually be scanning the instruments that are sitting in front of them. Have you ever felt like this in your life? Where you get to this place where you're in the middle of a storm or in the middle of the clouds and you feel so disoriented that up feels like down and left feels like right and you cannot seem to get your feet on the ground. I don't know about you, but this past year has felt like we have been living in the clouds. And so how do you gauge what's going on in your life when you realize you are in the clouds, what is your instrument that you use? You know, we see this illusion, these illusions take place oftentimes when we're in the middle of spiritual warfare. And over the past year, we have not just experienced a pandemic of COVID-19, but we as a nation have experienced a pandemic of spiritual warfare. And you could try to convince me otherwise, but it's hard for me to believe that not almost every single person in this room, if not everyone, has experienced some type of demonic attack this year. And you see, our problem is that demons believe in us, but we don't believe in them. And we end up making comments about our situations like, you know, I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but, but what's your alternative? You're going to under-spiritualize it or be carnal? about it? Why? Demons believe in you. They fear God and they fear God in you and they are on an attack after your identity, who you are and your destiny. And so my question for you is, how have you experienced warfare over the past year? Has it been through anxiety and fear has it been through tormenting dreams, unexplained sickness, depression, discouragement, constant fatigue, strong sexual temptations, or other temptations that lead you farther from God? Have you seen a breaking of unity or strong divisions, maybe persecution, even being personally attacked? The list 
goes on. But if we were to describe or define spiritual warfare as this, anything that gets you to resist the Holy Spirit and disobey God, or anything that brings separation between you and God, then it's hard for me to believe that not all of us have experienced a year of warfare. And let me be clear in this, as we talk about warfare today, we have one enemy and one enemy alone. In Ephesians 6, 12, it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of darkness in this world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So your enemy is not your old self, it is not your flesh, it is not the other political party, it is not the, the, the politician, it is not a race, it is a spirit. Because like I said, he fears God and he fears you. But our problem is, is that in the midst of spiritual warfare, like a pilot who's experiencing an illusion, we experience what I like to call spiritual amnesia where we get into the middle of the storm and all of a sudden we forget who God is, we forget who, who we are, and we become so consumed and so disoriented that we lose sight of truth. And we are not alone in this. We see all through the gospels, the disciples deal with the exact same issue. Jesus is constantly pulling them back, trying to remind them of truth. This week I was reading in Matthew 16 where the disciples are disputing about leaving bread behind and, and they're starting to, to panic. And, and Jesus looks at them and he's like, why are you worrying about bread? Don't you remember when God turned the five into the 5,000? Like, stop worrying yourself with this. He's drawing them back to truth. Or when he's sleeping in the bottom of the boat and he comes up and he says, why are you worrying? And he calms the storm. This is where the Psalms come in. The Psalms are our pulling us back. They were given to us as a gift, you could call it a tool, a guide, on how to actually pray and process with God in the midst of our warfare. We know that David, one of the largest contributing psalmists in the book of Psalms, lived a life chock full of warfare. And I'm not just talking about from the iconic battle with Goliath, but from Saul hunting him down and him having to live with the own consequences of the sin of his life. We read in the Psalms of fear, of anxiety, of depression, of guilt, shame, and I don't know about you, but that sounds like spiritual warfare to me. The Psalms give us a gauge. When we are in the clouds and we cannot feel like our feet can touch the ground, they provide us for words in the middle of our battle because oftentimes spiritual warfare is right here. It is an internal struggle. And if you're anything like me, when I'm in that internal struggle, my prayers look more like this. God, just please take it away. And I begin to barter with him, like, Lord, I'll never listen to another rap song. I'll never yell at my kids. I'll never do X, Y, and Z. Just, just take it away. Like, ugh, I just don't want to feel this way anymore. But that's not the way that the scriptures teach us to battle. Because we even see Jesus 
Jesus, in, in the biggest moment of spiritual warfare, as he hangs on a cross, he sings the Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if Jesus pulls on the words of a psalm in the midst of spiritual warfare, you better believe that we need to be pulling on the words of psalms in the midst of our own spiritual warfare. I want to share with you this morning my psalm of warfare, the psalm that has walked me through some of my darkest seasons. So I want you to turn to Psalm 27. This is a psalm of David. It reads, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it's my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army, army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will meet me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent, and he will set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surrounded me. As at his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call. Lord, be merciful to me and answer. My heart says to you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. God, my Savior, through, though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn over to the, to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Amen. We could go home. <laughs> you know, uh, since I can remember, as a small child, the enemy has liked to attack me with anxiety and panic attacks. And you see, growing up, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Although my mom did believe in Jesus, we did not go to church. And um, I grew up with a dad who was an alcoholic and a drug addict. My house was um, very toxic, very volatile. And so because of this, although I was experiencing these things from a young age, I had no framework whatsoever in how to engage with God in the midst of these attacks. And so even when I came to the age where I would give my life to Christ and I would receive new life, these things would take place. And what I really had was breathing techniques and I could kind of tell you why it was happening. And although those things are wonderful, 
I did not know how to battle with God. And it wasn't until I was 22 years old in one of my darkest seasons where I could hardly get out of bed. It was my first year of, of teaching and I would experience panic attacks daily. I thought as though I was losing my mind or going insane. All I wanted to do was sleep. I wanted to be alone. I lived in shame because, oh my goodness, how could a Christian have anxiety? That doesn't make sense. So I lived in fear and guilt and shame. And then I was introduced to Psalm 27, and this became my anchor in a season where I was being tossed in the waves. The first line of that the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? That brought me back down to my feet, that the fear of the Lord was greater than the fear that I was experiencing. The line where he says, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall, reminded me that God was bigger, that what I was facing looked like Goliath, but I was David and I had a sack of rocks, and you better believe that, that Goliath was going down. And when he comes to the place where he says, only this I seek, it is you, brought me back to the centering presence of God. And so this psalm was my center. This led me back to light because I don't know how many of you have ever experienced attacks on your mind, but oftentimes it feels like you can't see anything else. Like you could speak to someone what is true, but you don't feel it. You don't see it. And so these psalms, not just Psalm 27, but many of the psalms full of warfare help pull us back. They pray the words that we can't pray. Like I was in a season where I could not even formulate to God what I needed, but I knew when I prayed this prayer, when I said this psalm, it was exactly what I needed. It was as though God had given this to me, a gift to say, hey, this is going to intercede for you. And all I need you to do is partner with it. Just say it. Just write it. Just sing it. Just read it. Whatever you can do, this is what I need you to partner with. So I want to walk through this psalm with you to talk about the language that it actually provides us. When David opens up the psalm, he provides us with what I like to say, language of confession, he gives us language of confess confession because he's confessing who God is. He's saying, you are my salvation. You are my light. I will not fear. And I have to believe if I'm saying I won't fear, then I'm fearing something. <laughs> or at least that was my experience. And so he's confessing. Because what happens, as I told you, is that when I was in that spiritual battle, I'm in this what I call fear loop. And if we want to put it up here, it's called what I like to call the fear cycle, where we are in a loop of fear, guilt, and shame, and they just feed each other. There's no hope, and you're headed down a spiral. The only way to break the fear cycle is to take the courage to step over into the truth cycle, where we have to tell the truth to ourselves, and we have to be truthful with God. And in a fake Social media, Instagram, society, that can be very hard for us. To be that intimate with God, that intimate with ourself to tell the truth. And when we do, we step into the truth cycle, which is where we confess, we tell the truth. 
And that truth leads us to repentance, which is mind change. And that mind change leads us to transformation, which is form change, that new life that we have access to. But we have to start by telling the truth. And this is what David gives us a beautiful format at. We have to confess to the Lord. The next piece that he gives us language for is he gives us language for seeking the presence. He gives us language for presence. He brings us back to that place of centering ourselves on the power of the presence. You know, oftentimes we're in the midst of warfare. Our prayers, like I said, look like mine where I'm like, just get this off me, you know, like get me free. But scriptures say in 2 Corinthians 3.17 that the spirit of the Lord is freedom. And so if we believe that scripture, then freedom is not being free from something, but being in the presence of someone. And when we get so focused on, I want to be free from X, Y, Z, I want to be free from grief, I want to be free from shame, I want to be free from this temptation, those bars that are holding us in move to the throne of our heart. And it says, seek first the kingdom of God. So we have to remove that from the throne of our heart and we have to replace it with the presence. And so David, even when he doesn't feel like it, even when he may feel illusioned, he brings himself back. And he says, I will seek first you. And he asks God, don't turn away from me. I want to seek you. You know, a few weeks ago, uh, my husband and I were out of town visiting some friends at their church. And on the outside of their church building, which actually is on the side of a highway in a big city, is painted, fear, go, Holy Spirit, come. And it is as simple and as powerful as that, that in the midst of warfare, our greatest strategy is to call on the presence of the Lord. After he shows us this language of of calling upon the Lord, talking about the fact that he wants to dwell, like it's not just Holy Spirit come, it's I want to dwell in the beauty of your gaze. This is that language of authenticity and intimacy that we see David teach us. This is true relationship in the presence. Once he asks for the spirit to come, he gives us the language of remembering who God is. He goes back to who God has been in his life. Between verses seven and 10, he says to God, hey, you were my helper. This is who you've been in my life. Like pulling on those pieces of God, remind me. Sometimes we have to be reminded in seasons of warfare, remind me who you've been. Like bring me back to those places because all I can see right here is darkness. And you know, the thing I love about the way that that David processes in the Psalms is it's like this. It's messy. It's up and down. Because in one sentence he says, God, you've been my helper. And in the next sentence he says, do not leave me or abandon me. And so he's feeling the tension of these two emotions in one breath of saying, this is who you've been. And I'm so grateful for it. Do not turn your face from me. And that is the beauty 
of using the Psalms of spiritual warfare. It is vital for us to remember in the midst of the storm to pull on the power of Christ. I love this quote from um, Spurgeon. I didn't put this on a slide, sorry about that. But uh, this is from uh, Spurgeon on uh, prayer and spiritual warfare. When you plead the name of Christ, you plead that which shakes the gates of hell. Come on, somebody. And that which the hosts of heaven obey, and God himself feels the sacred power of the divine plea. When we plea for Christ, that is the name in which shakes the gates of hell. And so when we come to Christ, what David does is he seeks the presence, he remembers who God is, and then he gives us language for guidance. He says, teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. Make my path, make my path straight. Because oftentimes, we can't stop spiritual warfare from happening. I'll be, I'll be really honest. This is a recent revelation that a friend of mine uh, spoke over me. And this has really changed the game for me. She said, you're in, you're in, a, you're in a war. She said, you cannot, uh, you cannot stop the punch from coming at you, but you can decide how you're going to receive it. You cannot stop the weapon from being formed, but it will not prosper. And this was revolutionary for me. That was that revelation in a season of spiritual warfare, like, God, teach me. Make my ways, make my ways straight. Because in the middle of the warfare, he wants to teach you something. He wants to make you different. Your circumstance may not be able to change, but you can. And so he says, guide me. Make my way straight. And I love the way that David ends because he gives us a language of praise. He proclaims and he prophesies over himself as he ends by saying this, I remain confident in this. It's like, I have to imagine him like prophesying and declaring this over himself to say, I will see the goodness of the Lord. I will see it in the land of the living and I'll wait for it. I think of like my stubborn child that's like, I'll wait. I'm asking for this, like, I'll wait for it. But if it's not good, it's not the end. And he's, he is prophesying over himself with praise of saying, I know you are good and I know there will be goodness again. Psalm 27 is not the only psalm that gives us language for warfare but it's my psalm of warfare. And I'll be really honest with you, the past few months have been very dark. I have experienced crippling anxiety that came from nowhere, honestly didn't make sense to where we could say this is a spiritual attack, to where I can't get into a car I struggle going to work. And again, God brought me back to the Psalms as my gauge. Because I'll tell you that there were days where I would call my spiritual mother and I would just say, please remind me that I'm going to be okay. Please tell me 
that God is going to pull me through this. And as someone who's walked a very similar season, she would say to me, you're going to be okay. She would help speak revelation and truth and prophesy in scripture over me. So when I feel like I'm headed straight up and I'm ready to crash my plane, she could say, let's check those gauges. Let's head back there. And I was actually really challenged in this season, um, not just to read the Psalms, um, but to write my own Psalm. And so this morning, I actually want to kind of take you into um, my secret place, if I can get through this, um, and a place of like healing and deliverance in my life. You are nowhere to be found. The pain and the torment, the chaos are drowning me and I cannot feel you. The warmth that once held me, it's gone. I like cold and alone. I went from dancing on my grave clothes to tearing my clothes in mourning, from trembling with the glory of the Lord to trembling in fear. Have your waters left me dry? The days feel like a desert and the nights like a lonely cave. You have said that you would make a way, that you would be my great shield, but the arrows don't yield. I see breakthrough all around me, but I just keep breaking broken onto pieces in the floor, only waiting to be swept away. Will you come? Will you put me back together? Am I worthy of your grace? For years I have tossed and turned and called on your name. I have walked in circles to see the same thing over and over again. Where is my true north? Will you pull me from this circle? I have begged and pleaded on my knees for you to take this pain from me. Change my reality. Silence. But I know, even in the silence, you are there. Even in the stillness, you are there. I know I will see your face again. This hole is familiar, but so is the touch of your grace. Your grace that set me free will set me free again, and I will rise. In your timing, I will rise again. And in a world where truth is dictated by feelings, you will exchange my feelings for faith and tomorrow will bring a new day. New blessings, new challenges, but you will be there. For you have gone before me. You are my anchor and you will bring peace to the chaos, comfort to the grief, and joy to the morning. And I will dance on my grave clothes once again because you are victorious and you have always been victorious. I will praise your name. I will praise it in the mountains, in the valleys, because you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are all powerful, all righteous, and almighty. You bring water to the dry, and you do free the oppressed, for you will free me from these chains, and you will lift me from this grave. Your ways are mysterious and majestic. You are wonderful in every way, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Amen. I will tell you as scary as that experience was to sit with the Lord and not just to read a psalm but to write a psalm, it was healing and it was warfare and there is breakthrough.
And if you are in that space today where you feel like you've been in a, in a, in a season of warring, I want you to know that breakthrough is coming. And I really do believe that learning how to write our own psalms could be a healthy practice for us to adopt. And I recognize that some of you in this room could be in an amazing place, that you could be in a place of acceleration, in a place of growth, and you are flourishing and you feel at the top of your game. So as we step into this application today, I still want you to write a psalm. Because sometimes it's important for us to write those psalms when we feel at that mountaintop place to where when we hit the valley, we can pull on that. We can pull on the faith of our mountaintop experiences. But as a high school teacher, we're going to call this your exit ticket. And I want you to get out a piece of paper, a journal, a, a phone, whatever you have. And we, although we may not have time to write a full psalm today, I want to get you started with three questions. And then my challenge to you this week is in your secret place, in your intimate time with the Father to continue writing whatever it is that is on your heart, and even to pick a psalm. Pick your favorite psalm and use that as a framework. For my psalm, I use Psalm 22 as my framework, working through pain and doubt, hope and joy. But here are the three things I want us to focus on this morning. Is there anything before the Lord that I need to either confess or proclaim? This is where we have the opportunity to tell the truth. The second thing I want you to write is a statement of seeking his presence. What is it that you want? Is it that you want to experience the Father's heart? Is it that you want to see his face? I love that line, gaze upon your beauty. This is a place to allow the creator to have creativity move through you. So a statement of seeking his presence or guidance, and then finish out with a statement of who God has been in your life. Has he been your deliverer? Has he been your provider? Has he been your stronghold, your, your comforting father? Who has he been in your life? As you continue to write, I want to close us out in prayer. Father, thank you for the Psalms. Thank you for the gift and the language of prayer that you have provided us. God, thank you that when we cannot find the words that you intercede on behalf of us, thank you for David's life that he was a trailblazer in what it looks like to pray and to process, to be authentic and intimate in the midst of warfare. Father, I pray for those who have been in seasons of warfare, Lord, that you would walk with them through their valley, but that they would not be afraid.
God, I pray for the chains that need to be broken, the hearts that need to be delivered, the broken hearts that need to be put back together. Father, I pray that you would meet them. And those who are in seasons of flourishing, God, bless them. Fan that flame, Lord. God, we thank you that you are so good. In Jesus' name, amen.